0: All right. Welcome to all of you. We're glad you're here. Uh, greetings to our Zoe's campus traditions venue and also our West Campus. Um, I got to visit the West Campus last week. Um, had a great time. Thanks to all of you volunteers who are making that happen. I'm really proud of you. Uh, great, great job. Um, before we jump in, I wanted to mention that I'm hosting a, a couple of vision nights in the next few weeks where I'm going to be sharing some thoughts about where I believe God is leading our church in the future. And if you are, interested in attending one of those, please email Jenny Hooten um, in our church office. You can email her at jennyh at cccgreeley.org, and then we'll get you signed up through Jenny if you're interested in that. Well, I want to start today um, by um, showing a little blast from the past, a little video clip here, kind of a blast from the past. So let's, let's check this out. What was that? <laughs> the weather. The <laughs> weather. Very peculiar, don't you think? Yeah, looks like the winds are changing Ah, uh, change is good Yeah, but it's not easy I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past I've been running from it for so long Ow, jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter, it's in the past <laughs> Yeah, but it still hurts Oh yes, the past can hurt but the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. Ah! You see? So what are you going to do? First, I'm gonna take your stick. No, 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 no! Make stick! Hey! Where are you going? I'm going back! Good! Go on! Get out of here! <laughs> Who can forget that scene from The Lion King? It really, it's the defining moment in Simba's life, right? Everything changes from that moment on. Simba's joy and purpose in life are restored. The kingdom is going to be restored. Distant relationships will soon be restored. I mean, everything changes. So what made the difference? It all had to do with Simba's attitude toward his past, how he responded to the guilt and the pain of his past. For every one of us here, our past can impact us way beyond what we realize, way more than we realize. Our attitude towards the past will either move us toward God's heart and purposes for us, or it will hinder us in that experience. We are in the midst of a teaching series entitled Under Construction. We're looking together at the story of Joseph as given to us in the book of Genesis. And our overall theme in this series is this. God often uses adversity to mold us into the people that he wants us to be and we have already seen this played out in great detail in the life of Joseph right at 17 he was a spoiled teenager hated by his brothers who sold him into slavery in Egypt he served faithfully but was accused of a crime he didn't commit he was thrown in prison eventually through a variety of circumstances he is asked to interpret pharaoh's dream and he does he accurately predicts 7 years of plenty followed by seven years of horrible famine. And so Pharaoh elevates Joseph at the age of 30 to second in command in all of Egypt, second in command to help the nation make it through what is gonna be coming. Clearly, those 13 years of slavery in prison, though difficult, they clearly were used by God to mold Joseph into the man that God wanted to use, that God was able to use, the man God wanted him to be. But the story is not done. This is not just about God transforming Joseph. God has a much bigger agenda than that. The story is also about how God transforms Joseph's dysfunctional family. They too are under construction. In Genesis chapter 42 and part of 43, we see that the famine that occurs in the land becomes the instrument God uses to begin working on their hearts as well on the hearts of Joseph's brothers, and also Joseph's dad, Jacob. Now, the particular issue that God has his finger on in their lives and in this passage is the past. Both the brothers and Jacob are holding on to the past in an unhealthy way, in a way that is spiritually damaging, that's hindering their future. And so God uses the circumstances of this famine to bring the past to light and to begin to deal with it. Now, when we talk about talking about holding on to the past in an unhealthy way, this usually revolves around one of two things, guilt or pain. We hold on to guilt about things that we've done or we hold on to pain over bad things that have happened to us. Either way, our unhealthy or, or um, uh, uh, in a, should I our, our, should say, our inability or our unwillingness to let, let go of these things can keep us in bondage. And God wants to free us from that. And that's part of his, his construction project in our lives. And so let's look at these two specific issues, guilt and pain, as shown here in this section of Scripture. So we're going we're to start with the brothers. The issue for the brothers is guilt. They are guilty of sin in their past, significant sin against Joseph and against Jacob, right? They hated Joseph, sold him into slavery, ended up lying to their dad about it, and then they kept silent for years, at this point in the story, at least 22 years have gone by. 22 years. For 22 years, they have kept silent about that sin. Perhaps they believe that the, the idea that, that many of us um, um, believe as well, time heals all wounds. That's a lie. <laughs> I mean The truth is, time heals all clean wounds. And this wound is not clean. The brothers have taken this sin and they tried to lock it away in some deep, dark closet in their soul, hoping that it will just go away. <laughs> but it doesn't go away. It festers there. And so God says, it's time to deal with it. It's time to deal with it. No more running from it. No more hiding. It's time to deal with this. So let me read the beginning of Genesis 42 when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Okay, so this major famine is happening in this whole region. Finally, it impacts Jacob and his family. And, and Jacob and their sons, um, they have no food. They're going to they're gonna starve to death. And so the sons here, aren't doing anything in response. Jacob says, why do you just keep looking at each other? Get off your desk and go do something. Go get some food in Egypt. Now, I may be reading between the lines a bit here, but I wonder if part of the reason that they're just looking at each other is because they know in order to get grain, they have to go to Egypt, and Egypt is where Joseph was, was headed years before. And so I can imagine those conversations in the living room when Jacob says, by the way, there's grain in Egypt. I can imagine the brothers just looking at each other. Not Egypt, you know, anywhere but Egypt. Maybe that's what's happening. But Jacob sees this. He sees them just looking at each other. And he says, well, you know, why are you doing that? Get us food in Egypt. And so they go. Well aware that Egypt represents the real possibility of their sin being exposed. What if they see a certain slave there who recognizes them and the jig is up? Verse 6, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you were spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if, they, see if you're telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you're a spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. Okay, so finally, the meeting we've all been anticipating happens between Joseph and his brothers. But they don't recognize Joseph, which is not surprising. It's been, again, it's been at least 22 years. So how, how do your high school graduation photos compare to your 40-year-old your photos? You know, plus, Joseph is dressed in Egyptian garb and he's speaking Egyptian. We find out in verse 23 that he's using an interpreter. So it's no wonder they don't recognize him. But what is Joseph doing here? Why is he treating them this way? It is not about vengeance. It's not, we will see in a moment how Joseph's heart is actually tender towards them. But Joseph is Testing them. He uses that very word in verse 16. He is making them experience some adversity to see what rises to the surface. There's nothing like a little adversity to see someone's true character, right? I mean, it's easy to be nice when things are going our way, but but what, what happens when, when we're mistreated? How do we respond then? then? Joseph wants to see if these are still the same thugs who had betrayed him, or if their hearts were now different in some way. So nothing like, you know, three days in the clink to test character, right? Um, So verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Okay, so notice how Joseph is demonstrating his character and also appealing to theirs. He says, do this and you will live, for I fear God. He is giving them his word that he will keep his side of the bargain because he fears God. And then he, he also urges them to keep their word, to leave one brother here, and then the rest of them can take food back to their starving family. Verse 21, they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. This is 22 years ago. Notice how fresh it is. We saw, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. They're talking about Joseph here, but we would not listen That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Always the oldest brother coming in with that kind of thing. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon uh, taken from them and bound before their eyes. Now, this is fascinating here. Notice the topic of conversation among the brothers. Their sin against Joseph. 22 years back, still they're still hanging on to it. They're admitting how wrong it was, how cold-hearted they were to just ignore Joseph's cries for help and instead sell him into slavery. This is huge. What's happening here is huge because they're beginning to own their sin. They're beginning to own their sin. They're facing it, perhaps for the first time, admitting what they have done. The, you know, the wall around their heart is starting to crack. Their frozen hearts are starting to melt. And that's, that's always fertile ground in which the spirit can move. It's when our, our hearts begin to melt. But until we get to that place of repentance of admitting what we've done, our heart will stay hardened. We will subconsciously or consciously remain chained to the past. It's exactly where these guys are, but it's starting to change. For some of us here, we've, we've been trying to run from some past sin. Maybe we did something we're, we're ashamed of, and we've kept it a secret, an abortion that we had, Or a sexual encounter we participated in, or an item that we stole from from someone, or an affair, whatever. And what we've tried to act like it never happened. We've tried just just forget it, just ignore, you know, ignore it. We've ignored, tried to ignore it for years, but we're still chained to it. And, And God is saying to us, "No more running." From this. No more running. He's saying, I know all about it anyway. <laughs> Admit it to me. Bring it to the cross. Repent of it and then leave it there. I paid for that sin and more. Experience my forgiveness. Now sometimes I hear people say, Oh, you know, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Why why do we struggle to forgive ourselves? You know, there are a couple of reasons, I think. Sometimes it's pride. It's pride. When, you know, when we say we can't forgive ourselves, what we're really saying, in essence, is that our standard for forgiveness is higher than God's standard. <laughs> right? He can forgive us, yeah, but we can't forgive ourselves. Our standard must somehow be higher than his standard. That's pride. I mean, why would our sin be in a special category? as if the cross isn't quite big enough for our sin. That's, that's pride. Maybe we just kind of can't believe we were so stupid. We're better than that, right? All that's pride. Sometimes the reason we can't forgive ourselves is, is, is anger and self-hatred. How could I have done that? You know, we just can't believe anyone would love us after what we've done. And so what happens is we live under this cloud of shame and self-hatred. We're holding on to the past in a way that's hindering us in the future. So how do we forgive ourselves? How do we let the past be the past. Well, the only way I know of, the only way I know to do this is by getting a fuller taste of God's incredible love for us. See, the God of the universe, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, gave his son for you and me on the cross, not because we deserved it, but because he chose to do so. His perfect love casts out our fear and our shame and our self-hatred. I mean, he really does love you. He really does. And besides all that, you know, one other thing to remember, we're in good company. I mean, think about guys like David and, and Peter and Abraham and Moses. All of them had failures and mess-ups. But God still used them. God still used them. To continue to hang on to regrets is to allow the past to continue to dictate our future. God longs for us to bring our self-hatred and our shame and our regrets, to bring all of that to the cross and to leave it there. Leave it there. He still has a purpose for you. Don't let the past rob you of that. Rascal Flats has a song called I'm Moving On and let me read a part of this, this, this first verse I've dealt with my ghosts and I've faced all my demons. Finally content with a past I regret. I've found you find strength in your moments of weakness. For once I'm at peace with myself. I've been burdened with blame, trapped in the past for too long. I'm moving on. It's a really interesting phrase. I, I Burdened with blame trapped in the past for too long. That's that's some of us. We have been trapped in the past for too long, but through the cross, we actually have a way to break free from being trapped in the past. We can move on beyond our regrets, beyond our guilt, beyond our shame. But That moving on requires something. It requires genuine repentance. That's that's the only requirement. Genuine repentance. Taking our sin out of those closets, you know, where they've been under lock and key, those secret places, taking them out of the closets where they've been hidden and bringing them into the light. See, that's where the grace of Jesus can meet us. It's when we admit those things. We admit them. To God, specifically, we bring them to him. Now, one of the ways to tell if we are free from the guilt of the past is how we respond to grace. How we respond to grace, that can tell us whether or not we're free from the past. In this particular story, Joseph sends the nine brothers on their way with lots of food, and then he secretly puts in their bags the silver that they had paid him. And they, when they discover this, after they left, they discover this, and they, they freak out. Verse 28, their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, and said, what is this God has done to us? <laughs> I mean, what an interesting response. If I went to buy a used car, and I paid $2,000 for it, and I drove it home, and I was cleaning it out, and looked in the glove compartment and, and discovered the owner had given me back, intentionally given me back my you know, $2,000, I'd be elated, right? That's, that's all grace. But these guys can't see it. They, they can't see it. And here's why. Often when we have carried around with us guilt and shame for so long, grace is really hard to receive. When we've carried this stuff around with us for so long, grace is really hard to receive, but it's there. It's it's real. (laughs) God's grace poured out on the cross. Grace is the ultimate answer for our guilt, enabling us to let go of the past and to move on. Again, we're not saying, oh, just sweep it under the rug. We're not saying that. Bring it out own it, and bring it to the cross. That's how we deal with our guilt. That's how we deal with our shame. Okay, while the brother's issue relates to guilt from their past, Jacob has a different issue that he's facing. His issue relates to pain in his past, to pain. Remember, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, and the reason... Was because Joseph's mom was Jacob's favorite wife, and anytime you have a favorite wife, you have a problem, okay you automatically you have a problem so but because Joseph was born to Rachel, Jacob loved him way more than the other brothers. So when Jacob was told that Joseph had been killed, he was absolutely devastated. I mean, can you imagine the pain of losing your favorite son, right? Awful. But, but here's the problem, as revealed in our text today. Again, I'm going to repeat this, but it's important that we remember it. This is 22 years later. And Jacob is still responding as if it was yesterday. He is still responding out of that pain. That loss, 22 years ago, is still, is continuing to rule his life. It's continuing to rule his life. Let's jump back to verse four. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother. So he sent the brothers to get food, but he didn't send Benjamin with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. He was afraid that harm might come to Benjamin. Now, you see, Benjamin was Rachel's other son. Okay? Joseph's younger brother. Now, we initially read this, and I had probably for years, and envisioned little Benji being like eight years old. He's too young to travel on a trip like this. But no, Benjamin was probably 25 years old here. He is a grown man. He's at least 25, at least. He can take care of himself. But Jacob won't let him go. He won't let him go. He is ruled by fear. He's ruled by fear. What if something happens to this son? Now, on one hand, we totally get it, right? We totally get that. He, he, he sent Joseph to check on his brothers, and Joseph never came back. <laughs> so now he's afraid to send Benjamin. We get that. But, but again, the problem is this is 22 years after losing Joseph. And he's unable to trust God with his son. He's unable to trust God with his son. See, that's the issue that God is going after in Jacob's life. Jacob has been under construction for a long time. I mean, he had issues before he ever got married to Rachel. Um, Jacob, you remember this from like a year and a half ago, we looked at Jacob's life. Jacob was driven, his whole life was driven by this deep father wound. Um, This deep wounding from his father, Isaac. A deep insecurity because Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. And that started this whole dysfunction and this whole wound that Jacob just kept operating out of. When there's that kind of wound in our heart, we are, what happens is we're constantly, constantly looking for things to fill that void, because he didn't get love from his father, so he's constantly looking for other things to validate him being okay, to validate his existence, things that are going to make him feel valued and important and successful and all that. Those things, they become idols, they're the things that we place our affection on, our heart, the things we put our trust in. Which is exactly what Jacob had done here. First it was Rachel. oh beautiful Rachel. If only I had her, then I'd be somebody. So he marries Rachel and Leah, of course. Rachel died, so then it was Joseph. Well, then jo- you know, he sets his heart on Joseph, his favorite son. Then Joseph is gone. What does he do? Benjamin, right? He sets his heart on Benjamin. Jacob still hasn't settled in his heart this foundational issue. Am I willing to place my trust in God completely? Am I willing to believe that God has my best interest at heart and that he is still at work and that he can still be trusted? These, These are not theoretical questions. I mean, these are questions where we this is where we live these are questions all of that all of us ask when bad things happen when loved ones die when tragedy occurs our initial question is can i can i ever trust god again if he let the, if he let this happen to me how could i trust him again Now, this is where our vantage point in this whole story is so helpful and so important. Because remember, we're, we're seeing this story from a bird's eye view, aren't we? We're seeing Jacob's entire life from a bird's eye view. So we're able to see multiple decades of his life. And the message is clear. To us, the message is clear. God can be trusted. He can be trusted. Even when we mess up, even when bad things happen to us, God is still orchestrating a plan. We really can trust him, even when that which is mo, even with that that is most precious to us, we can still trust him with our children, we can trust him with our loved ones, we can trust him with our job, we can trust him with our future. God wants us to place all of those things in his hands and to trust him. okay, so the nine brothers arrive home. And they tell Jacob the whole story about how Simeon, what what this ruler in Egypt said to them, the governor in Egypt said to them, and how Simeon is still there in prison, and how they need to take Benjamin back with them if they ever want to see Simeon again, um, and if they ever want to eat again. But Jacob, Jacob cannot handle it. He can't handle it. Verse 36, their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. He refuses to do this. Notice how his past pain has resulted in this downward spiral of self-absorption. Now Jacob is the victim. And he sees everything through the victim lens. Even though it was his spoiling of Joseph that kind of started the whole thing, forget that. Right? He's the victim. This is all about him. I mean, again, he's willing. He's willing to let Simeon rot in prison the rest of his life. It, It is totally irrational. But that's what happens. That's what happens to us when, over time, we choose to trust in things rather than God. That's what happens to to us as well. The inevitable result is increased self-absorption. Life just becomes more and more about us, and we're the victims. And we see everything through that lens to the point of even being irrational about it. We are so fixated on making life work and controlling everything so that no, no pain happens again. You know, We're so fixated on making life work that we lose sight of God's activity in the process. That's where Jacob is right here. So two years go by. Two years go by of doing nothing. Two years of complete self-absorption. <laughs> on Jacob's part, with Simeon in prison. Well, eventually, they run out of food. (laughs) And and Jacob says to his sons, "Uh, go get us some food in Egypt. And Judah says, "Uh, Dad, we told you we can't go back without Benjamin. Remember how the deal works? So Jacob then starts to blame the sons for telling the truth to Joseph. Why did you tell him you had a brother? I mean, again, he, he's just grasping at straws here. When, when we don't trust God, we have to trust the things around us. And when those things start to fail, what do we do? We just inevitably start blaming other people. That's what he's doing here. He's just looking for someone to blame. Finally, Jacob relents. Hunger has a way of doing that, I guess. So then their father Israel said to them, if it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey and some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once, and may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Finally, we see Jacob willing to trust God. There's a little opening here. He says, may God Almighty grant you mercy so that all of you can return to me. It's a start. It's a start. Jacob is beginning to relinquish to God all the things he had had trusted in. He is finally willing to let go and leave them in God's hands. So, what was it? Here's the critical question. What was it that caused this change of heart? I mean, what was it that Finally now moved Jacob's heart to release this death grip that he on these uh, that he had on these idols that he had set his heart upon and instead to trust God. What changed? What caused the change? Well it was actually one of the brothers. One of the brothers convinced him to change his mind. Which one? Judah. Judah, we talked about him a few weeks ago. We're gonna talk about him next week as well. Total scoundrel, a few weeks ago, total scoundrel, sleeps with Tamar, right? Remember that? Wants her burned at the stake, you know? <laughs> I mean, just a scoundrel. But do you remember at the end of that story, if you were here a few weeks ago, when we looked at that story, remember the end, Judah repents, and he says, she is more righteous than me. And at the time, I said, in the, in the message, I said, this is the beginning of something God is doing in Judah's life. This is the beginning of something God's doing So in, in Judah's heart. Well, he, So here we are, Genesis 43. Verses eight and nine, then Judah said to Israel, his father, or Jacob, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. Did you notice what Judah just did? he offered his life in exchange for Benjamin's safety. I mean, this is, this is amazing. Whereas before, Judah hated dad's favorite son, Joseph, now Judah is willing to give his life for the other favorite son, Benjamin. And so Jacob saw this. He saw Judah say this. He saw this act, and he finally said, okay. See, by by, by being willing to lay down his life, Judah had earned his father's trust. And see, that's exactly what it takes for us to be willing to let go of our idols. That's exactly what it takes for us to be willing to let go of the things that have captured our hearts. That's exactly what it takes for us in the midst of our pain to choose to trust. What we need is to see a love like that. And we have it in the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. Jesus gave his life for us sinners. Though we didn't deserve it, he chose to do so anyway. His love for us drove him to make that sacrifice. And in doing so, he gave us a reason to trust him. He gave us a reason to trust him. We really can trust him with our lives. We really can trust him with our children. We really can trust him with our health and with our jobs and with our relationships. He gave his all for us. And he invites us to experience a love relationship with him. Okay, so so what do we do to enter into this relationship and to experience the fullness of this relationship? Well, it's, it's all about our heart. God is interested in us experiencing the very same things he was after in Genesis 42 and 43. Same response, repentance and trust. Same response, repentance and trust. He wants to help us deal with our guilt and our past by repenting of our sin and by placing our trust in his son, Jesus. That's the gospel, right? (laughs) That's the gospel. That's the good news. And as we often say around here, that gospel is not simply an initial step into a relationship with God. It is a way of life. And it's the way we deal with and face our past through repentance and trust. When we do that, we experience the joy of being forgiven as well as the wonder of being loved by the God of the universe. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. And I just want to encourage us to be focused here. This isn't about the person you're sitting next to. I believe God wants to do some significant things in these moments. There are some of you here and you have never entered into a relationship with God through repentance and faith. See, a lot of times we think, oh, I get a relationship with God by going to church or by trying to be a good person trying to be sincere, you know, all those things. And that's not the way it works. We can't get to God that way. The only way into a relationship with the holy God of the universe is through repentance and faith, repenting of our sin and placing our trust in his son Jesus who was given for us on the cross. He died in our place. And so there may be some of you here, and you want to experience forgiveness. You want to experience a relationship, a love relationship with God, a permanent love relationship with God, where your past sins, your present sins, future, all of that's taken care of. And I want to invite you to do that, to step into that through repentance and faith. Let me lead you in a prayer. If that's the desire of your heart, to enter into this relationship, pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I realize that you are holy and I'm not. My sin separates me from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. And I am choosing right now to confess, to repent of my sin. I admit it to you and I am choosing to place my trust in Christ alone for my salvation. Jesus, I ask you to come in to my heart, live in me, cleanse me of my sin and give me new life. Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer that they would grow in their relationship with you, in this love relationship with you. Now, others of us here, we, we have already entered into a relationship with Jesus. We know him. But for some of us here, our past, we're still chained to things in our past. For some of us here, it's a sin, maybe multiple sins. And we just kind of have thought, that we could just sort of bury that somewhere. Maybe it happened 20 plus years ago, long time ago. We thought we could just bury, maybe it was longer than that. We thought we could just bury it. And God's saying, it's time. Bring it out, bring it out. From the basement. Bring it to the cross. Stop carrying that thing. And you think you're not carrying it, you are. Because you think about it. It comes to mind regularly. It's time to bring that thing out, whatever it is, and bring it to the cross and leave it there. So let's just do that in the quiet of your heart. You can just acknowledge to the Lord, God, I, I want to confess this. Maybe you're not even sure if you confessed or whatever you think. Maybe you did. Hey, just take care of it now. Just say, God, Lord Jesus, I confess this. Be as specific as possible. This sexual sin this affair, this abortion that I had, this divorce, whatever it is in your past, that you, you still carry guilt and shame. Bring that to the cross right now. The cross is big enough. Jesus paid for all of our sin. Don't think your sin is somehow in a special category. It's not. God's standard is way higher than yours. And he says he forgives all of it. So can you bring it to the cross right now and leave it there? Leave it there. Thank you, Jesus, that your sacrifice is enough. And we cut those chains now of guilt from our past to past sins. We cut that off in the name of Jesus and pray that you would pour out your grace, reminding us you have removed those things from us. As far as the east is from the west, you have removed those things from us. May that reality sink into our hearts. Now there are others of us here and the issue is pain in the past. Maybe a painful divorce, maybe a, a, some painful relational breakup, maybe a, a tragedy that happened. And God is saying, will, will you trust me? Because some of us here, because of that past pain, we're we're trying, we're become control freaks. We're trying to control everything and cling to our family and, you know, just living in fear. And God's saying, will you trust me? You really can't trust me that I'm at work here. So maybe, maybe this evening there are just things you need to release to the Lord, things you've been hanging on to. And you say, Jesus, I just relinquish to you, my children. I relinquished to you this job. I relinquished to you these, these things I've tried to control. I relinquish these things to you. And I want to trust you. I want to trust you, Lord. Lord, thank you for being that kind of a God. And We thank you that we have this opportunity to to praise you, to worship you. And in, in, in doing so, we're expressing our trust and we're releasing things to you. So I pray for that as we continue to worship, we would be releasing these things, these idols to you, these things to you, and we would be entering into deepening levels of trust. So why don't we stand as the worship team is going to lead us in a time of response here. The altar is open. We also have prayer team members on both sides of the worship center. If you have a prayer need, you can go to one of these people and they, they would love to pray with you. Lord, we pray for these intercessors. You would pour out your spirit upon them, your healing power upon them. And we, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would come be stirring our hearts with worship and repentance and trust. We love you, Jesus. We love you.